Amen. If you have a Bible with you this morning, if you turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. We're going to be Ephesians 5 and 6 in our time together this morning. We welcome you here. And every day we get to gather as the body. It's a special thing. We get to come around the gospel and celebrate it together and, and, and lean into what God wants to do in our lives. And this morning we're continuing our series called Church Defined and what it looks like for us as a faith family here at Tri-Cities to live as a redeemed community of Jesus followers on mission together. And we've been walking through our core practices. So our principles kind of lay our foundation, and our practices, these are, these are missional uh, components that God calls every Jesus follower to be a part of. Abide, gather, connect, equip, and go. And this morning we're going to be talking about equip our families. This is something, if you're a member, if you're part of the family here, that, that we're asking you to do, and we believe that Scripture calls us to, uh, along with the other principles. When we're talking about how that's fleshed out in our lives individually, how that's fleshed out in the life of our church family, we're going to do so through the book of Ephesians. And um, just kind of to, to get us into this time, Psalm 78, in verse 4, says this, We will not hide them. God's statutes from their children, but tell them to the coming generation. The glorious deeds of the Lord in his might and the wonders that he has done. He's established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded to our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them and the children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children. So this is God's plan that generation to generation would pass along the knowledge of God. Why? So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. That's why I'm praying happens this morning, that we as a people would set our hope in God and that we would be committed to helping those behind us, those around us to set their hope in God, to, to not forget because our hearts are prone to wander. So that's where we're going this morning. I just want to pray for us again. We're going to dive right into Ephesians chapter 5 and talk about what these things mean for us. Father God, I just pray for my brothers and sisters this morning. Pray for myself that you would give us eyes to see your word, ears to hear it, and hearts to receive it. We cannot do that apart from you. And so we ask for your glory that you would. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 5, and what I want to do is, really the, the crux of the message this morning is Ephesians 6 verse 4. But we can't understand Ephesians 6 verse 4 unless we spend a little time in the context of Ephesians chapter 5. So that's what we're going to do, starting in verse 1 and 2. Therefore, whenever you see a therefore, I'm going to ask what's the therefore, therefore. So he's alluding to what has already been stated in the book. So even for more context, I encourage you to go back and read through the book of Ephesians uh, later, and it helps set up what's coming. Be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant sacrifice, or a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We'll jump to verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, going back to verse 2, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another, and one another are the members of a body, household of faith, local church, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That doesn't mean you have to walk around singing to one another. 
It just means as we talk to one another, the gospel is flowing out. Giving, making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God. Think about that. Pause for a second. In what things? Everything. Give thanks. Always and everything. That means that every single moment, every single day is an opportunity for worship. There's no circumstance that enters into our lives that God cannot be glorified out of. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So there's something unique in the body of Christ where we are letting other people speak into our lives or speak into their lives. There are no independent people in the family of God. We are all dependent upon Jesus Christ and dependent upon one another. So in light of that, in light of what he has said, that we are to be filled with the Spirit, we are to be imitators of God, we are to know the will of the Lord, our hearts should be full of praise, we submit to one another, then we relate to one another. And he shows us how. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. If you want to know more about what those passages mean, there's a message series at the beginning of the year where we walk through these texts, and you can pull that up. Chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and you may live long in the land. And all the parents from him said, Amen. Right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Verse 4. Fathers. And when he says fathers... Here, because of what preceded it, talked about father, mother, parents. What he's about to say is not just for fathers. This applies to moms and dads at all ages. But this is specifically should be led out by the father. Do not provoke your children to anger. Colossians 3 says not to discourage them. But bring them up, cherish them, love them, nourish them. Nurture them in the discipline and instruction, this is really important, of the Lord. This, this is our text this morning, and this is the Word of God. We are called, as the people of God, to equip our families. We see that in this passage. And I just want to say from the very beginning, I don't stand up here as the person who has this all figured out. So my title uh, on our church staff is family pastor. And some days I'm not really even sure what all that means. But it definitely does not mean that I've mastered leading the family. Like I'm still working through this and trying to figure out what this looks like in my home. And I'll give you an illustration of that because failures are often, epic failures happen pretty frequently as well. So some of you might have heard me share this. But about a year ago, um, I was getting the kids ready for breakfast, and so we kind of have responsibilities. Katie gets the clothes ready and gets them all dressed. I'm downstairs. I'm on breakfast duty, um, you know, and I do what dads do. Like, we're really good at scrambled eggs. We're really good at toast. We're really good at cereal. Like, I've got a good cereal game, you know, the right level of milk and all that stuff. And so I'm getting them ready for breakfast, and our oldest son, Jack, has some food allergies, and so he's, he can't have gluten, so we have to do some different things for him. So I make his stuff separately, get them all their things, cinnamon, sugar, toast, and Jack takes a bite, and he says those dreadful words, I don't like it. And I do what every good father does and say, eat it. Doesn't matter. You're going to eat it. I'm your father. Do it, you know, we got to go. We got to do this thing, so eat it. So he takes a couple more bites, and then he says the words that every father just cringes at. 
Daddy, it's not the way mommy makes it. I'm like, it's fine. It's exactly the way mommy makes it. It's no different. Just eat it. Do this. And so he obediently eats both pieces of toast. We're moving on. <clears throat> and I grab some for myself. I sit down. I go take a bite. And it smells funny. And that thought goes to mind, oh, no, what have I done? And, of course, I don't take a bite. That's foolish. So, you know, I put the toast down. Uh, I'm not going to inflict upon myself what I've inflicted upon my son. Uh, uh, and then I go to the kitchen. Okay, sugar, butter. And then I realize my mistake. Instead of covering his toast in cinnamon, I accidentally grabbed the chili powder and covered it in chili powder, doused it in chili powder, and then made him eat two pieces of the bread. And as a good, honoring son, he obeyed me. And about that time, my wife walks down, Katie, is like, what have you done? And yeah. And, and he, here's what I learned from that epic failure. Uh, the reason why that was an epic failure for me was because I was distracted. I had a lot on my mind from the day before. I had a lot on my mind about that day coming up, thinking about my week. And I was just, I was so focused on everything else coming that I missed the moment. I was distracted. And what I, I think, one of the things that the Apostle Paul is telling the church at Ephesus, what I believe he's telling us this morning, is be careful because we as a people are easily distracted from what matters most. Right? Parents, if we're not careful, our families will be distracted by lesser things than what matters most. All of us will start chasing things that seem important, seem critical, and will miss what matters most. C.S. Lewis said it this way, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but instead too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink, sex, and ambition. When infinite joy has been offered to us, chase lesser things, we're distracted. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what's meant by the offer of a vacation at sea. And he says this, we are far too easily pleased. Far too easily pleased. We're distracted. And so this morning, what this passage is calling us to is to reorient our minds and our hearts and our affections and our lives around what matters most. And that leads us to our big truth from the passage this morning. It's this, and I want you to lean in. This is not just for parents. This is for the whole household of faith. Family discipleship is the overflow of a heart that has been captured by the gospel. Family discipleship is the overflow of a heart that has been captured by the gospel. This is for all of us this morning. How many of you are a part of a family this morning? Would you mind to raise your hand in the room? Okay, I think that is most of us. Okay, so we, we are all a part of a family. Discipleship should matter to all of us. Discipleship is not something we add to an already busy life and we try to figure out how to do. Friends, the Christian life is about making disciples. Amen? That's what we've been called to do. We've been called to take the gospel to people who don't know it and to make disciples, make followers of Jesus, of all people, all nations, everywhere, including the people in our home, the people around us. And for a long time, I kind of have looked at things in my life like missions or like family discipleship as something else to add to the to-do list. But it's not. 
It's the overflow of the pursuit of God. That's what we see in this passage. One of the temptations is, and if you look at your Bible, is to read Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 as something else I'm supposed to do if I'm a parent. I need to do this and do this and do this and not do that. And here's one more thing to add to the list. Don't read it that way. That's not the way this book was written. It's not the way the Bible's written. What Paul is doing is he's showing us that the only way we can do Ephesians 6 verse 4, leading our families well, is if we are first, chapter 5 verse 18, filled with the Spirit. If we are first, chapter 5 verse 19, filled with praise. Chapter 5 verse 20, filled with thankfulness. Chapter 5 verse 21, filled with the heart of submission. Pursuing the will of the Lord, chapter 5, verse 17. Do you see what's happening here? It's, it's not an addition to the list. It's a progression. It is the natural response as we are being filled with the Spirit, as we are trying to obey the will of the Lord. These are the things that should flow out of us. And so discipleship should be an overflow of an abiding relationship with God, the same thing as family discipleship. And so if you, if you take anything away this morning, this is what I want you to take away. That this is an overflow of the gospel. And so let me, let me speak to the converse, the opposite, okay? This is why it's important. If family discipleship is not a priority to you, it's not a priority to me, then there's a good chance the reason is because the gospel has not captured your heart or my heart. Do you see that? It's not a priority to us. It's probably because the gospel is not dear to us. Because when the gospel becomes dear to us and we are walking by the Spirit and our lives are overflowing with praise and our lives are overflowing with thanksgiving and we are submitting ourselves to one another, Paul's saying this is the next step. Wives, they love their husbands. Husbands love their wives. Children love and honor their parents. And parents lead their kids to love and follow Jesus. It's the natural progression. It's the overflow. And so my challenge to you this morning, brothers and sisters, is has the gospel captured your heart? Is your life being formed and shaped by a conviction for God's glory? The family exists to be a compelling picture of the gospel to a watching world. So in the time we have left this morning, I want to ask and answer three questions about equipping our families, about making disciples within our families. The first question is, who is responsible to equip our families to love God? The second question is, how do we equip our families to follow Jesus? And lastly, for us this morning, what does this look like? How, How do we as a church family do this? And what is, what is our commitment to you in it? And so let's just walk through these truths together. The first um, question is this. Who is responsible to equip our families to love and follow God? Here's the answer. God's primary plan for the discipleship of the next generation is the family. God's primary plan for the discipleship of the next generation is the family. It's not just the church. It's not any institution. The church is involved in that. But it is the family. It's the family at home and the family of God. Family at home and family of God. In, verse, in chapter 6, verse 4, we see this charge again. Given the fathers and mothers, do not provoke your children to anger. Bring them up, 
nurture them, nourish them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Reflecting the language in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. Our calling is to help our children and to help one another love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. This is the charge that we have been given. So, so let's talk about the family. If, if the family is God's means for doing that, I think there's three spheres that are really important for us to think about. Three different ways this takes place. The first one is this. Parents and guardians are called to be the primary disciple anchors of their children. If you're a mother and father in the room of a minor, you are the primary disciple maker of your child. You are the primary person responsible for caring for their soul. Don't give it away to someone else. Don't entrust what God has given you to someone else. Why would we want to take the risk of that? If you're a guardian, that, that is your call this morning. We've already looked at some of these passages and we can walk through that. But, but I think this is really important. Kind of speak to the fathers for a minute in the room. Dads, husbands, your primary responsibility before God is not the provision for your family, it's the spiritual provision for your family. How many of you in here enjoy pets? Like anybody in here, dog people, any dog people in the room? Proud of it. Any cat people in the room? Boo, cats. Okay, so a few of you, uh, we'll do some counseling later, that's okay. Anybody in here have a pet possum in the room? I hope not. A few of you raised hands. That's really weird. You know, I, I don't know about you, but a possum for me is like one of those creatures that must have not been until the fall came. Like it's just, just nasty animal. Why am I talking about possums? Here's, here's my point. A possum knows how to create shelter and provide food for its family. Fathers, dads, let's strive to do more than possums do. Okay, let's not let the bar be what a possum does for its family just by providing. Let's shoot for something higher, right? That, that's a good thing. I'm not saying that a father shouldn't provide for their household. They should. The Bible talks about that. But dads, that's not your primary responsibility. Your primary responsibility are the souls that have been entrusted to you, entrusted to your care. That is ultimate. That is what God has called us to and unfortunately in our culture, more and more, dads are stepping into complacency and apathy and letting mom take the lead in spiritual formation. And that's sinful. It's quiet in the room. Sinful. Should moms be involved, invested? Yes. Sometimes moms have to carry that burden alone in a single parent situation. It's true. But dads, it's your calling. It's your responsibility, and it's a good one before God, for His glory, for your joy and the joy of your children. So that's one sphere. It's, it's the family unit. It's mom and dad. There's a second sphere, and that's this. Every family member has a responsibility to help those within their family follow Jesus. So within the natural family, God has planned and ordained that we as people and members of that family have responsibility to one another. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. Kind of speak this morning, if you're, if you're a kid in the room, or you're a teenager in the room, can you look at me for a second? This is really cool. 
And here's why. In this day and time and in this culture, children, teenagers were not deemed to be a useful part of society. They would not be addressed. And by Paul speaking to the children, believers, and teenage believers, this is what he's saying. Are you listening to me? Your life matters in the faith family. You have a role to play in the faith family. You have a responsibility. God cares about where you are now in the role that you play, young believers. And one of the primary ways that you bring glory to God with your life in the context that he has placed you in right now is to obey your parents and to honor your parents. What about my parents tell me to sin? Well, that's a different conversation. But by and large, one of the ways you bring God glory with your life is by honoring and obeying your parents. And it's really important to note this. You can obey your parents and not show them honor, right? We are called to obey and honor. Kids, teenagers, you have a role to play in the family of God to make Jesus look glorious. But let's not stop there. This, this word children, he is directly speaking to a younger category of people. We see that from the context. But this same word children he uses in verse 8 to speak to the whole congregation. He says that we are to walk as children of the light. So let me phrase it a different way. How many of this room have a living parent? Would you please just hang with me for a minute? Yeah, a lot of us. Guess what? We are called to still honor our parents. It doesn't stop when we get into adulthood. We have a responsibility. The role changes, the relationship changes, but we still have a responsibility as Jesus followers to honor our parents. And sometimes that gets really hard. I'm so thankful for Pastor Daniel for so many different reasons, but for one of those is the model he's been for me in this, that he and Amy moved here. They had a great church they were part of, they were teaching in seminary, and just a a great situation. And they came here not to just be a part of Tri-Cities, but to serve his mom and dad and her ailing health, to move in with them, to do this, to honor them. We have a responsibility to honor our parents, and it brings glory to God. But let's take it a step further. He goes down and talks to fathers, and we've already addressed fathers a little bit, but how many of you in this room are fathers of a minor? Anybody in here? Okay, a few of you. Thank you for those of you raising hands. Uh, um, How many of you in here are fathers of those who are not minors, who are adults in adulthood? Yeah. Guess what? Even though he's speaking specifically and he talks about children, he doesn't give a time period on fatherhood. If you're in this room and you're a grandparent, you have a responsibility to your grandchildren, a spiritual responsibility. That does not end because you've moved into that stage of life. If you're here and you have an adult son or daughter, Your spiritual investment in their life does not end when they turn 18 or 21. The relationship changes, but it does not end. You have a responsibility to still shepherd, still pray, still point, still encourage them to follow Jesus with their lives. 
So the sphere is that nuclear family, but it extends to all of our family. But then it goes a step further. There's a third sphere, and that's that every member of the faith family has a responsibility to help, equip, and encourage our families to find their joy in Jesus. So if you are a member of this family, this is where you belong. You have a responsibility to care about the other families, the rest of the next generation that's here. How do we know that? Because this letter, the book of Ephesians, is not being written to an individual. It's being written to a church. The expectation is what Paul is saying here will be read before the church, and the church will hold one another accountable to it. And I know that because of verse 21. If you have your Bible still open, look at what it says. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This means that we should care about the rest of the next generation outside of our family that's a part of this faith family. So practically, personally, I care about the spiritual growth of the Tucker kids, the Bledsoe kids, the Wyricks, the Keeners, Stewarts. I, I care about their family. I care about their kids. I want their kids, their teenagers to grow up and love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so I pray for them and I encourage them. I speak into them. We should do that for one another. That's part of why community is so important. That's part of why being in a life group is so important so we can have people that we speak into their lives, but then they also speak into our lives. And we let that happen. So very practically, as an example, we as Jesus followers cannot say to the rest of the body, the way I disciple my kids is my business. No, it's not. Not if you're a member of the household of faith. Because we have to submit to one another. No man is an island in the household of faith. No one is head except Christ in the household of faith. Amen? And that's hard, but it's true. We need to let people into our lives. And in our individualistic culture, we push heavy against that. But God has designed something different for your flourishing, the flourishing of your kids, the flourishing of the family of faith. We have a responsibility, commitment to serve one another with the gospel. That's why we've designed the family discipleship plan. It's because we care about your kids. We care about your family. We want to help you find your joy in Jesus. We want your sons and daughters to find their joy in Jesus. So we've developed these resources for you that we teach on Sunday morning and Wednesday night that you can enter into and it equips you to do that and pursue the faith of your sons and daughters. And we're so excited. We've been in this process for three years, but starting next Sunday, we now have content for middle school and high school students and the parents of middle school and high school students. So now the whole family can be a part of this together. And many of you, even though your kids might have graduated or grown, are involved in serving them through Next Gen Ministries. We are invested together. So who's responsible for the equipping of families? God's primary plan is the family. It brings us to the second question. How do we equip our families to follow Jesus? We're going to get practical here and uh, I hope helpful, but it's also going to be challenging. Here's the answer. We equip our families to follow Jesus and find their joy in him when we strategically and consistently align our lives with God's word. When we strategically and consistently align our lives with God's word. I don't know if you've ever been driving down the road and your car's out of alignment. Anybody ever experienced that before? 
It's a little rough, a rough ride, right? Things start to steer the wrong way if you kind of let go of the wheel. Constantly our hearts get out of alignment. And the way we bring them in alignment is we have to align them with this book, with the Word of God. And so the way we help our families pursue Jesus is by bringing them into alignment with God's Word. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you four marks of healthy discipleship. I'm going to speak specifically to the family, but these would apply to any discipleship relationship. So if you're discipling someone who's you know, at your school or an unbeliever at your workplace, these are true for you as well. And again, these, there's going to be some tension in these, and that's okay. Uh, I'm not speaking against the one who's mastered them, the one who's in them with you, trying to fight to pursue Jesus. So here they are. Four marks of healthy discipleship. Number one, our aim should be God's glory, not the American dream. Our aim as Jesus followers should be God's glory, not the American dream. Amen? We have been called to live for God alone. Not for our success, not for the approval of others, not to be the most educated person, have the best job, we exist for the glory of God. And we've been redeemed, we've been purchased at a price to live for Him. Parents, you don't exist for your child's success, their education, their happiness, your approval or their approval of you. You exist to help them glorify God with their lives. Not to keep them safe, not to keep them happy, because we believe the safest place they can be is in the hands of God. And we want something more than happiness. We want their joy. And we believe that joy can only be found in God alone. Amen? And so is this conviction the conviction that drives your life? And for many of us, I'm afraid that we value God's glory, but we carry other convictions. And so when it aligns with everything else in our lives, it's okay. We'll we'll pursue it. But when something else that matters more on a conviction level for us arises... We move that to the side. So let me just be really, really practical. We build our lives around what we value, but the decisions we make about our lives are driven by our convictions. So is the conviction, the glory of God, driving your life? So again, very practical. It would be unwise, unhealthy as a parent to sacrifice more for your children's growth sports, education, whatever that is, success, than what you sacrifice for their spiritual growth in the gospel. It would be unwise to sacrifice more for their growth in other areas than you sacrifice for their growth in the gospel. Sports aren't a bad thing. Education's not a bad thing. Having a nice home is not a bad thing. These are not bad things. But when they become the thing we seek and the thing that drives our lives, it becomes unhelpful, becomes sinful in some situations. So what are you pouring the most of your time, your effort, your energy out for? Is it pointing your children to love and follow Jesus. Here's another one. It would be unwise and unhealthy to remove ourselves and our children from the presence and pursuit of God's people through the gathering regularly so that we can chase lesser things like sports, like education, like a better job. 
not being legalistic. I'm not saying that if you don't come to church on Sunday, God doesn't love you anymore. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is God is more important than anything else in the universe. And he deserves your life. And he deserves your children's lives. And that's where joy is found. That's where life is found. Jesus said, if you want to find your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, then you will find it. The cross, the Calvary Road is laying down everything for something greater. God and his glory. And the world is screaming and putting all kinds of pressures on you. Say, you need to chase this, you need to do that, you need to be this, you need to be that. We want to lean in and align our lives around what God says is most important. All right, I'm preaching. Let's keep moving. Our aim should be God's glory, not the American dream. Here's the second, and that comes from Ephesians 5.17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What is the will of the Lord? Well, Jesus told us in the great commandment that you would love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. God's glory is the goal. That is the conviction, the aim that should drive our lives. Here's the second mark of healthy discipleship. Our fuel should be the gospel, not self-effort. Oh, friends, this should encourage you. One of the temptations out of a message like this is, okay, I need to go do this, I need to go do that, I need to go read this, I need to go change that, I need to go do, 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 do. Here, I want to encourage you. The gospel does not say, go do more, try harder, be better. The gospel says, surrender. Look to the one who accomplished the work of salvation in your place. Abide in him, love him, pursue him. Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. I wish I had time just to unpack everything that's here. It says to not be drunk with wine, but instead to be inebriated with the Spirit intoxicated with the Spirit, be so filled with the Spirit that nothing else has its place in your life. This happens through the gospel. And so when we lean into the cross, our living hope that we sang about earlier, that is the fuel for equipping. That is the fuel for disciple-making. That is the fuel for pursuing God, not just self-effort. Here's a third one, healthy mark. Of discipleship. Our lives should model abiding in Jesus, not morality or behavior modification. Look at Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 again. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What does that mean? Friends, if you're trying to disciple someone, you're trying to help them follow God, the best thing you can do for them is to model a life that loves God. Who you are says so much more than what you teach. Right? Our lives are the best picture of the gospel that we have. Parents, your kids don't need an example of a good moral person. They need an example of a person who's being transformed by the gospel day by day. They need that so much. Speaking again to you parents, and this is to all of us, but our, our kids need to see us actually read the Word. They need to see us pray, hear us pray. They need to see us model community and making church and gathering a priority. They need to see us radically repent often. Parents, you need to say that you're sorry. 
when you sin against your kids, when you sin against your spouse. You need to ask for their forgiveness. Your kids need to see that because if you never admit faults and you never ask them to forgive you and you're always fixing their circumstances, what you're doing is you're positioning yourself as their savior. And friends, we make a terrible savior. We make a terrible savior. But when they see us repenting, we are pointing them to see the true Savior and our need for the true Savior. They need to see it. Their worldview of the gospel, their worldview of marriage, of authority, is being shaped, mom and dad, by the way that you live. The way you interact with your spouse, the way you speak about political leaders and presidents and those who are authority in the church. You are shaping their view of the world and life. Tony Marita, a pastor and theologian, said this, Children are observing their parents' own relationship to the Lord. They are watching them pray, study the Bible, and worship. Listen to this. Children will know if their parents are being dazzled by God's grace or not. Moms and dads, brothers, sisters, do your kids know if you're being dazzled by the grace of God? Is your heart captured by the gospel? Go back to our big truth. When our heart's captured by the gospel, these things naturally begin to happen. We worship God in all of life, and we long to tell our children about God, and we long to develop a plan and a strategy to help them see what matters most. And we can't go do more, try harder, make it happen. We lean into what God has done, and we see our need, and we repent and surrender to him, and God changes us through the power of the Spirit. It would be unwise and unhealthy to spend more time trying to adjust the behavior of other people than we do spending time modeling them for what it means to follow Jesus Christ in all of life. They need to see your abiding. Lastly, last mark of health, our discipleship should be strategic and should be disciplined, not reactionary and complacent. Strategic and disciplined, not reactionary and complacent. Well, how do I know that? Go back to verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. That's intentional. That's strategic. It's knowing that our words matter. Our words wound or they heal. They bind up, they break down. So I'm going to be strategic and intentional in what I say to my kids. Because I know that what I say helps shape who they're becoming and who they're trusting in and what they view of themselves, and what they view of God. So I'm going to be intentional to speak gospel, and to speak love, and grace, and mercy, and forgiveness, and to repent when I need to repent. But not only are we not to provoke our children to anger, but he says, bring them up. And that that word, bring them up, literally means nourish and cherish. It's the exact same word, if you have your Bible open, that's found in verse 29 of chapter 5. When he speaks of husbands and wives, he says, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes. It's the same word. We are to nourish our children. Well, how do we nourish them? How do we feed them? With discipline and instruction. And discipline includes intentionality. Discipline also includes punishment. We don't punish or discipline our children because they messed up and so we want them to feel uh, the responsibility of their decisions. No, we, we, God wounds to bind up. Punishment's always restorative. It's always to bring someone back into healing. It's to restore them. Disciplines aims our hearts to see the brokenness of sin and our need for God. 
parents, we need to discipline our kids. Loving discipline, loving pursuit, but then also instruction. And the word instruction there means teaching, counsel, admonition, warning. Of what? Of the Lord. We are to intentionally and strategically teach them God's word, to warn them of sin, to warn them of danger, to to admonish them when they are moving in the wrong direction. And that doesn't happen reactively. It doesn't happen haphazardly. It's supposed to be intentional and strategic. So again, really, really practical. It would be unwise and unhealthy practice to not have a strategic discipleship plan for your family. Why would we leave the spiritual formation of the souls entrusted to us up for chance? Why would we do that? Pray that we wouldn't. You need a plan. You need a strategy. That's why we've taken so much time to develop the family discipleship plan. It's not perfect, but it's a strategy. It gives you aims and goals. It gives you one truth per week and one verse per week and resources around it so that you can teach your child the full counsel of God's word. Sometimes I'll have people tell me, I do have a strategic discipleship plan. It's the Bible. Well, if that's all you have, no, you don't, because a strategic discipleship plan is how to teach them the Bible. You need a strategy. And maybe the plan is for them to memorize the whole thing. If it is, that's great. But we need a plan for how we're going to teach them the whole counsel of God's word. And if you have a good one, great. Use it if it's working for you. If not, join us in what we're doing. And if you disagree or if you have complaints or critiques, man, just feel free to email me again. Just mlauren at tcbchurch.org. I'd be glad to receive any critique that you have. I know these things are heavy. Again, my my prayer is that it would not be a yoke that burdens you down. But that you would take some of these things and measure them against your life, husband, wife, mom, dad, parent, grandparent. Are we living for God's glory? Am I being fueled by the gospel? Is my life a model? Am I strategic and disciplined and intentional? Do I have a plan and purpose in my life? And where those things are lacking, repent and pursue you don't have to do that alone. We, we do that together for the glory of God. So we've talked about the first two questions. Let's wrap it up with the last one. How do we as a church family equip our families? How do we equip our families as a church family? What, what is our commitment to you? Four things very quickly. The first is this. Together we commit to honor the family. We will honor the family. The family is God's idea. It is God's design. It is his picture to the watching world. It is his plan. And so we will hold it up. We will honor it. We will fight for it. We commit that to you. Secondly, together we equip parents to disciple the next generation. We do this together. I've already talked about the family discipleship plan. For for some of you, you need a next step. And we've got a great one coming up in a couple weeks. A study group start back. We have... Uh, a class called Equipping Your Preschooler to Find Their Joy in Jesus. And there's one for elementary age children, and there's one for middle school and high school students. And it's a study group that meets once a week, and it's taught by parents who are in the same season of life as you, who are doing this in their home with you. 
And so you come in, you talk about the truth that week, you pray for one another, and you go do it. And then you come back and you talk about what you learned, how it went, and it's a community. A great place to start. Being taught by people in this congregation who are in the fight with you. Next week when you come back, moms and dads are preschoolers and elementary age. It's move up Sunday so your children will be going to new classrooms. Don't just drop them off and leave. Stop, hang out for a few minutes, meet their new teacher. There's going to be resources around, conversations that can happen. Partner with the people who are there. If you're a parent of a middle schooler or high schooler, the first launch is on August 8th. It's our worship gathering. And it's parent night at launch. And your kids may not love this, but we want you to come with them that night. Kids, teenagers, bring your parents with you that night. We want you to experience it. We're going to have a special parent equipping time while they're in their small groups. We're going to talk about how do we begin engaging the heart of a teenager for the glory of God and the gospel. So we equip parents to disciple the next generation together. Thirdly, together we disciple the next generation. We lock arms. We do life together. We do it in life groups. We do it through serving in next gen. We do it through bringing spiritual orphans into our family who are in our community and let them be a part and see the lie of the gospel. We do this together. How are you doing this with us? Enter in with us. Anyone, stage of life can be a part of this. And lastly, together we send the next generation. Arrows aren't designed to stay in the quiver, Psalm 127. They're meant to be shot out and fired for the glory of God and the sake of the gospel. We want to send generations out with the good news of the gospel. We are doing that. We commit to continue doing that. We commit to call you to do that so that more may know Jesus. So this brings us back to our big truth, and the band can come out. We're going to respond to this. Family discipleship is the overflow of a heart that has been captured by the gospel. Friends, has your heart been captured by the gospel? Can I just challenge you? If disciple-making is not a priority in your life, if it's not a desire, if it's not a pursuit, then one of the reasons might be is because the gospel has grown cold in your heart. Repent. Turn to Christ. Again, this is not do more, try harder. It's return and I just want to end, if you have your Bible open, look at chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God. That's a heavy calling, right? Imitate the holy God. But look at the next three words. These are three words of hope. As beloved children. We don't disciple other people out of our own effort. We disciple people as those who've been redeemed, deeply loved, purchased, sons and daughters of God, loved by our Father. So this morning, as you respond, I'll pray for us. I want to encourage you, repent. Repent. What, what's missing? What's lacking? Where, what convictions are misplaced in your life? Repent. Maybe it's saving faith. Maybe you've never trusted in Jesus. Repent. Turn. Rejoice in what God has done. Friends, we have a great need for Christ. We have a great Christ for our need. You might feel inadequate as a parent. You might feel like you've missed it. Friends, it's not too late. The gospel call is still here. God has a purpose. God has a plan. Lean in to what he has done what he is doing. Let's pray. Father God, we need you. You are our only hope. Help us to love and follow you. Help us to turn from the things that distract us from you. 
so that you might be glorified in and through our families and this family. It's your name we pray. Amen.